KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Members of the Writers Guild of America, TV and movie writers, went on strike last week hoping to secure better pay and job structure for streaming shows. Writers and supporters picketed outside studios in LA and explained some of their complaints to CBS News Radio. Compensation has gone down 23% for writers in the last decade. Profits have gone up, but writers' pay has gone down. They are trying to be forced into a gig economy, and they can't pay their fundamental bills. AI is only going to get more advanced, and we need to make sure that writers and all workers are being protected from AI. It's, it's, it's a mess. It's definitely a mess. Andrew Suskind has spent many years as a TV producer and director and is now an associate professor at Drexel's Westfall College of Media Arts and Design. Hollywood has a history of undervaluing the contribution of writers. I think Hollywood has always thought, well, there's always another writer. I'm Matt Leon, and today on KYW News Radio In-Depth, we'll get Andrew's inside perspective on what the writers want out of this strike, how long it could last, and how it could affect the television industry and shows we all love. So you obviously know how this sausage is made. When we look at this WGA strike right here, to the layman, it seems like, as most labor strife, money is at the forefront, but it also seems like there's a, a lot about opportunities for writers. Kind of what's at the heart of the at this impasse? Well, in some ways, as in all labor negotiations, money is at the heart of it. But I do think it's more complex this time. Um, and I should preface what I'm about to say by saying I'm not in the negotiating room. I, I know what I read and what I've spoken to people in the industry about and my own history of, of awareness of past labor strife in the entertainment industry. But yes, money money is a big part of it, and they want higher minimums, and they want you know higher salaries, and they also want higher residuals. Um, in the television industry, in the commercial television side, meaning the non-streaming side, writers and directors get residual payments every time an episode runs. The way residuals work in streaming is that they get one payment per episode no matter how many times it runs over the course of a year. So it's possible you could have hundreds of millions of views of your episode, but it would you would only get as a writer a one-time payment of one episode residual. So, you know, structurally, it is about money, and they want a lot more of the pie. But it's more of an existential crisis for the writers because what the what's been happening more and more as more shows are being produced by streamers. They have changed the way writers are hired and for how long they are hired. In a typical TV series on the network, which does 22 episodes, the writing staff is hired for the entire run of the production, meaning however many months it takes to do the 22 episodes, the writing staff is hired for all of that time. So it's for pre-production, production, and post-production. What the streamers have been able to do, and now even some of the, the more legacy uh, companies have been doing, is hiring a small group of writers to develop the storylines for however many episodes they're going to do. And of course, the streamers tend to do many fewer than 22 episodes, six, eight, ten 10 episodes a year. 
they'll hire a small group of writers to develop the storylines. And then uh, for a minimum period of time, let's say 10 weeks, two months, two and a half months, something like that. And then they'll get rid of the writers and keep only one or two to write the actual scripts. So from the point of view of the writers, they're saying what we used to be able to count on as a year's worth of salary, we're now being disposed of as though we're, you know, Uber drivers, you know, in the gig economy, you hire us, our brains were 10 weeks, and then you reduce it to just a couple of writers, and we're not there, not only not to get the money, but also not to get the experience of being involved with production, learning how to do production, learning how to do post-production. So the writers see this as an existential threat, meaning how can we have a career when we're being limited to just a few weeks? And also without any opportunity to to grow professionally where we could become showrunners. And, and the one issue that is very frightening for writers, which the producing companies refuse to even address, is the notion of AI. Because what they most fear is that the production companies ultimately will have AI produce literary material, meaning scripts. So the, the sort of major issue, the real major issue, I think, beyond money is the writers want the producers to agree that they will not use artificial intelligence to create what they call literary material, essentially scripts. I want to put a pin in the AI because I had that as one of the topics I want to discuss. But it just seems to me by making these writers circles for shows so small and, you know, not kind of keeping the gateways open for people to become showrunners and stuff. It kind of seems like you're going to eventually hurt yourself because you're not going to have the, the pick of a lot of quality people. It's going to be a handful of people that, that know what's happening. I mean, we're talking like years down the road, but it, it all would almost seem like from a studio side to almost be counterproductive in the long term. Am I looking at it wrong? No, I think you're looking at it very logically. One would one would think that would be the way they look at it. I think you, you have to appreciate that, that Hollywood has a history of undervaluing the contribution of writers. It's why you'll see so many movies in the credits. You know, there may be three or four writers. I think Hollywood has always thought, well, there's always another writer. But with the looming AI thing, I, and, and, and the producer's refusal, they have refused to even address this issue in the negotiations beyond saying, yeah, let's meet once a year and we'll talk about the advances in technology. Whereas the writers are saying, we, we want you to commit that you will not use AI as a source of, of literary material. By not dealing with the issue, it's almost as though one could predict that they think a day will come when they can push a button and get at least a first draft of scripts. And it's interesting because I was doing some research on this, and it seems like every WGA strike has kind of come at, you know, I think the word you used was existential, or a point where life is changing in the business significantly. Like I think in 60, it was movies on TV. 73, it was cable coming on board. In the 80s, it was home video. And then back the last one in 2007 was, you know, at the onset of online, you know, streaming and stuff like that. It seems like every time there's one of these, it leads to a strike, no? 
Not exactly. But what I will say is all of those strikes essentially were purely about money, meaning we think we deserve a bigger piece of the pie. This one has to do with the actual structure of the industry, meaning, you know, in prior strikes, it's like we want more, we want higher salaries, we want better residuals, but it didn't, it didn't threaten the ability to have a career. It didn't threaten, if you got hired on a staff, you knew you, you were going to work for eight or nine months. You were going to get paid per episode. Now, you know, you could work for 10 weeks to, to, create some story or episode ideas, be let go of, they produce a thing, and then year two might happen two years from now. We know how long we sometimes wait for additional seasons of streaming series. So writers feel like they can no longer count on having a career. Where is their next paycheck going to come from? And meanwhile, the, the producing entities, the distributors like Netflix, all that, they're making a lot of money from those episodes. And, well, and by the way, and, and won't release any information as to how much they're making or who's watching or how many people are watching or how often they're watching. So I think that that's why I think, A, this is fundamentally a very different negotiation and one that I think I don't see how it doesn't last a very long time, frankly. What happens during a strike like this? Like, can things still go to production that are past the point of needing writers to develop stuff? Technically, yes. Meaning, as long as no writing is going on, productions are allowed by contracts to continue. However, in the television series business, most showrunners will take and have taken the position that there's no aspect of their job that doesn't include writing of a sort. For example, uh, if you're doing a show, uh, let's say for the network, and it has to be 22 minutes and 30 seconds long, if someone goes in and has to cut some of the episode to, to make the time, what would they be doing? They'd be cutting dialogue. That is, at least arguably, and perhaps even contractually, considered writing. If you're cutting, altering dialogue, that's considered writing. And most of the showrunners have already said, we don't consider any part of our job to be non-writing. And so, though technically productions can continue, and some may, that's one thing that can go on. But another thing that could go on is the producers, studios, networks, etc., have the right to suspend and and pass a certain point even cancel overall deals that they have with writers or anyone at the studio it's called you know ultimately it's called force majeure which means any sort of major event that prevents the industry from functioning that would be you know tornadoes hurricanes earthquakes acts of god but also labor strikes and this has already begun happening that meaning the studios had begun sending out letters to people with production deals saying, we are suspending your deal. Meaning, as of this moment, you are not getting paid. <laughs> so uh, that's one of many things that are going on. We need to take a break. We will have more with Andrew Suskind right after this. This is KYW News Radio In-Depth. 
And we are back on KYW News Radio In-Depth, continuing our conversation with Andrew Suskind, Associate Professor at Drexel University's Westfall College of Media, Arts, and Design. How long do you think it takes before the average person who's not paying attention to the news, who's not following the developments on the labor front, but just the person who watches TV, how long do you think before the that average viewer starts to really realize that things are different, that the variety seems to stink, the, the quality is down. How long do you think that that takes before it kind of works its way to the pipeline where even the average viewer who has no idea really that this strike's happening, that th- that life seems different? Yeah, I, I think realistically that would begin in the fall, in September, October, when people who are devoted watchers of TV series, particularly broadcast series, realize that there are no new episodes coming. I think people who watch primarily, let's say, streaming services, who had probably become accustomed to long waits between seasons of their favorite shows, have enough library material that they can catch up on or might discover. Uh, So I think people who are primarily watching through streaming won't notice it or feel it for quite a while. But I think devoted network television watchers uh, and cable series watchers will begin certainly begin to notice it September, October, when there are no new episodes of the shows that they like. What are some other areas where this will really affect? I know a lot of people have referenced late night shows. You know, there's the famous video of like Conan O'Brien seeing how long he can spend his wedding ring and stuff like that because he didn't, there was no content and he, he didn't want to cross picket lines or anything like that. Would they be kind of the, the hardest hit, the late night shows? Uh... Yeah. I mean, and don't forget there's a huge ripple effect. I mean, you know, it's not just the people we see in front of the camera. It's the people behind the camera and the people behind the people behind the camera. You know, all all the businesses that cater to productions. The thing that may be different this time, and I, I certainly have no way of knowing, but it wouldn't surprise me if this time, because the issues are so seemingly existential, it would surprise me if, if the late night hosts don't do that because of the solidarity they want to show. Now, they could. I mean, they, they have the right to. They can go on air and do, you know ad-lib stuff, but they, not stuff that they, they they can't write it. They can't have anybody else write it. And I guess, you know, they may be concerned about losing their audiences, but my guess would be that they would have a bigger concern about losing the loyalty of their writing staffs. It's, it's, it's a mess. It's definitely a mess. We talk about it being existential, but strictly looking at the money, to make things... I don't know, make things right, but kind of a square deal for the writers. Would that be a significant financial hit for producers and stuff like that? Or because it seems like and not knowing how it works, but you see a lot of these CEOs, they're still making obscene amounts of money. Like it does not seem like I don't see any big studio heads taking pay cuts or anything like that. So is the, the money is there. It's just a matter of whether they want to to give it and make these changes to to make writers more secure. Yeah, you're absolutely right in the sense that yeah, would they take a hit? That's one way of putting it, and I, another way to put it is, yeah, they could just share more of the the profitable pie. 
the um, Warner Brothers Discovery merger putting that company $50 billion in debt. That's not the writer's fault. Those companies are still profitable. They would be, I guess, less profitable if they shared more of the profits. But, you know, we're in an era of Wall Street and Wall Street's short-term need for growth, putting, you know, sort of determining these not just creative, but also business decisions by these large companies. There's also a, another complication, which is, and I, I often use the, the auto industry as an example. The auto industry, you know, which has, has dealt with some serious strikes over the last hundred years, but it all came down to eventually, if they don't make cars, they don't make money. If they don't make cars, the workers don't make money and, and the companies don't make money. So they ultimately would reach an agreement so they could make cars and make money. Entertainment industry used to be like that. It used to be that, you know, at a certain point, if they didn't make television shows and didn't make movies, the people who make them don't make money and, 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 the, and the companies, the studios or whatever, they didn't make money. But now at the same table that you have Warner Brothers and, you know, Paramount, you also have Apple, you have Amazon, you had Disney. These are companies that had, that are very different and certainly not purely dependent on making TV shows and movies. You know, Disney has cruise lines and hotels and theme parks and stores where they sell dolls and DVDs and all kinds of things. They can make lots of money. They don't have an initial imperative to, to settle. Amazon, Jeff Bezos has been quoted as saying, yes, if he has a popular show on Apple, I mean, on Amazon TV, they do sell more shoes and more handbags and more other things, but he's not reliant on that. Amazon doesn't need to make stuff and certainly doesn't need to make stuff right away. And then he got Apple and, you know, I'm sure they don't, it's nice to be in the TV business, but they certainly don't need to be in the TV business. So how do you get all these people to agree. I was I once served on a jury at a trial. We couldn't get 12 people to agree on where to have lunch, let alone, you know, reaching a verdict. I don't know how you get these 350 companies to agree on, on what the settlement should be. And I want to come back to the AI question, you know, because I guess the idea, the concern is, and I think you referenced this earlier, that they could just kind of feed in episodes of show x and ask an ai program in theory to what would the next season look like and yeah and then build off of that and i mean I, that seems like one of those things that's great you know as an intellectual exercise but it would probably not work in the big picture but how much do you think that is realistic and how much do you think they want to use that as as a hammer to kind of well we can always just do this my guess is everybody would agree that it's not an imminent threat. The technology is probably not there yet. Uh, and I, my guess is maybe the writers would be willing to sort of delay some of this if they felt that the producers would engage in a conversation about it now. The fact that the 
producers refused, and they did, they refused to deal with AI as an issue of this negotiation, other than to say, let's meet once a year to discuss where the technology is. That really raised a red flag to the writers, who I think feel, and I would say justifiably, if you guys aren't willing to talk about it, must mean you guys are thinking about it. And while I lean towards what I think you're saying, which is, come on, folks, how how realistically could AI turn out, you know, good scripted material and storylines? Uh, who's to say? I think, again, though it may be far off and while it may be far-fetched, it seems to me it is being considered by the producers and they don't want to close that avenue off. And I think the writers, given the history of labor negotiations, that uh, they're right to take it on now. The past writer strikes have always been, they were always one step behind. Meaning, when home video came out and they said, the writer said, you know, there's this new thing of home video, we want a fair you know, piece of that. This, this producer said, oh, it's, there's nothing, no money there yet. We, you know, it's just pennies and we, we don't even know if it'll become something. And of course, it became huge. Then it was DVDs. And they said, DVDs, oh, come on. It's, you know, who's going to change their whole library from VHS cassettes to DVDs? So they lost out on video cassette. They lost out on DVDs. They lost out on the initial thing of streaming, but they're not, they're not going to give it up now. They've seen too much happen. And they feel that they've been kind of screwed economically. You know, I've I've directed episodes of television. When re, every time it runs somewhere, I, I I get a rerun. If you write for a streaming show, you get one payment once a year for the one episode, as though it only aired one time somewhere. But we know once it's it's streaming, it could be viewed millions and millions and millions of times. And of course. Interestingly, you know, the streaming services, which have refused to share any information about who's watching, how many times, where are they watching, when are they watching, have now begun to take some advertising. And advertisers won't fool around with that. Advertisers need to know who's watching, how often, and when, you know, and where. So the advertising thing alone could break open the the transparency closet, you know, and and that could be a very interesting thing. I'm I'm not sure where that is in the negotiations or what will happen with that, but that too is an important issue. We talked about how long it will take the average TV viewer to notice. If this thing goes on for a long time, as you think it will, we would probably see some shows that are very popular come to an end and whenever we come out of this it would pro it could be i don't want to say a much different landscape but a lot of the choices that would have continued will have either ended abruptly or been canceled just because of life and and the way things have gone yeah i i, I think so i think that could be a fundamental change in the structure of the business and by that i mean not just financial structure but also consolidations there just can't there can't be you know 15 different streaming services that are profitable i i mean i, I just think we're going to see a consolidation there's lots of talk already about i mean nbc universal you know comcast buying 
Warner Brothers Discovery, who knows? But I mean, it's a land of of, of colossal giants now. And these middling companies, just, these middling streaming services, what was it last year or so? I think it was, there were about almost 600 different series that were produced. That That's not going to continue. Will the viewer notice it? Yeah, but maybe not so much in terms of programs. Although, yeah, some of those programs that they like are going to go away for sure. But, you know, with consolidation, there will be higher prices for your service. And, you know, Netflix will probably raise its prices as will, you know, Warner Brothers Discovery if they merge with, you know, NBC Universal, so Peacock or Warner, which uh, whatever thing lasts, Max Plus, I think we'll all be paying more. I think that'll, that will occur. I, I, I just feels like this is quite different. Now, there is an interesting wrinkle this coming, which is the Directors Guild. Their contract comes up at the end of this month. The Directors Guild, in the history of the Directors Guild, they've only struck once, and, and the strike lasted 15 minutes, and I'm not kidding. I think it was maybe th- three hours because of, there's a difference East Coast, West Coast, but the West Coast strike, I think, lasted 15 minutes. The companies don't mess around with directors. So if the, if the director somehow found a deal that they could make with the producers, that might cause the writers to accept a deal that was similarly structured. But that happened in the last strike where the, the directors made a deal, and I think the writers felt that they were undercut by it and sort of had to cave to what the directors did. I don't know that the writers would in this in this negotiation give up if they didn't get what they wanted, no matter what the directors did, but that may be seen, but the, you know, we'll know soon. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>